Hello and welcome to Bootstrap, the podcast for software bootstrappers. If you are running a software company or looking to start one, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Steve McLeod. The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the bootstrapped community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. Today's guest sponsor is Easy Data Transform. Do you have any CSV files or spreadsheets you need to merge, clean, or reformat? Of course you do. Analytics, mailing lists, sales data, log files, we're all drowning in data. Spreadsheets really aren't up to the job. You could fire up your editor and write some SQL or Python to do it, but how long is that going to take? Do it in a fraction of the time with Easy Data Transform. Just drop in your data, transform it interactively step-by-step and output the results. It all happens on your machine. It's secure and super fast. No programming required. Easy Data Transform is available for Windows and Mac. Best of all, while it's in beta, it's completely free. Download it now at easydatatransform.com. If you'd like to have your startup advertised on this podcast for free, courtesy of Balsamic, or receive a promo code for Balsamic, or even just thank the folks at Balsamic for supporting our community, visit balsamic.com slash go slash bootstrapped. Joining me again today is Ed Freifogel. Ed's my co-host on this podcast for a few weeks. Ed, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. We, we got the sun is shining here in Barcelona. So um, as someone who moved here from Northern Europe, this is the reason you move here. So it's it's good weather, good spirits, doing well. Oh, I'm at the moment in Malaga, which is the other side of Spain. It's where it's supposed to be warmer and sunnier even than Barcelona, but it's just terrible. Thunderstorms and rain all day. Something's gone wrong here. <laughs> well, that can happen. Hey, Ed, tell me what's been happening in the world of Open Cage, your bootstrapped business. We, uh, well, first up, we're kind of nearing the end of the year. You know, we got about a, a month to go until um, we kind of close down for Christmas break. So kind of the usual end of year tasks. Uh, this year is a little more complicated for us with um, accounting because we we switched the uh, company to being a German company. So kind of the first time that we're going through this process of what is the accounting procedures that you do at the end of the year and then figuring out. Um, on the positive side, figuring out how much money we can pay out and things like that. So um, doing going through that, then we have a couple, two more kind of biggish features that we want to get out before the end of the year. So we're progressing on those. And But the main thing this week on the product was every couple months, we do kind of a, a systematic, we set aside time for upgrading everything. You mean um, like all those libraries you use and um, all the libraries, all the I mean, we have we actually have quite a lot of servers. I, I, forget, I forget even the exact number now, but, you know, like making sure everything from the operating system and, you know, all the different software, we, we have actually kind of a quite a collection of different languages and stuff. So just kind of as a good housekeeping measure and uh, also from a security standpoint, it's important to stay current. So upgrade everything. I don't know if you use rails for your site or whatever but we upgraded to the newest rails to the newest ruby all that kind of stuff 
So, and do things break when you do that? Well, we have quite a quite an extensive testing setup. So, um, I think that's really important when you're a small team. You've got to be able to rely on your tests. This time around, it went pretty well. I have to say, um, you know, one one mega trend in the bootstrapping world is the software gets better and better and better and easier to use. And um, you know, the days that everything crashes when you upgrade are hopefully hopefully behind us. So, um, yeah. knock on wood there. But um, no, it went pretty smoothly. Yeah, we're using Java on the back end, and Java, well, one of its strengths is the backward compatibility, and uh, you can go forward versions and know that old software will still keep working, et cetera, et cetera. I know nothing about Ruby and the Rails world, so uh, it's interesting to hear. I, I heard that Python, they had a big problem going from version 2 to version 3, but do you do any Python? No, I don't. But yeah, I have heard of that saga. It's been ongoing for a couple of years now, I guess. I think the I think they finally made the switch. So, What about you, Steve? What's new in your business? So I got a little, I had my ego brought down a little bit this week, or actually a couple of weeks ago, but we've been fixing it this week. I was signing up for somebody else's SaaS and I had a problem in the sign up. So in the like getting started. So I went and checked their docs and the docs had nothing to do with what I was seeing. It looked like they had uh, refreshed their their dashboard quite a bit, but they hadn't been keeping their docs up to up to scratch or up to up to date. And first of all, I started doing that you know self righteous rant that us developers like to do when somebody else's product doesn't work the way we want it to. But then I thought, wait, 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 maybe just maybe I should look at my own docs first to see how we're doing. And we had exactly the same problem. Uh, yeah. Most important getting started pages in our docs were showing screenshots that hadn't been accurate for at least a year. Uh, the text was referring to things that weren't there and wasn't referring to things that were there. Hmm. Well, it's hard. It's hard. It's very difficult to keep things, to yeah. create the system so that you, you're always forced to keep things up to date. Yeah. Well, the process I have for rolling out new features does include update the docs, but that's usually like write one new page on the docs. It doesn't involve going back to look at all the other screenshots and existing pages. The easy way to solve this problem, Steve, is have no docs. Be realist. <laughs> I mean, then you. Yeah, that might also hurt the business in some other ways, but you don't know without A-B testing. Oh. A-B test everything, some people say. It's funny that you mentioned that because it's relevant to our topic today of talking about um, selling to developers because... In our case, our, our service is an API, and really the product is the documentation to a degree. I mean, of course, it's the actual service that they use, but the way they learn to manipulate it and use it is through the documentation. So it's really quite critical that we keep our docs not just up to date, but kind of easy to parse, easy to understand, easy for someone to kind of someone who hasn't looked at the service in a long time to quickly come to the site and really get back up to speed quickly. All these kinds of things. It's a, it's something we spend a lot of time on, actually. So what's your approach? It's just in-house process, or have you used some tool that helps you keep them good, accurate, and easy to use? You know, there is an evolving ecosystem of tools that that attempt to do this, particularly if you have a lot of different APIs or if you, you know, mainly targeting companies who might have tons and tons of APIs and um, so you don't have the resources to maintain them. In, in our case, uh, one of our main approaches is keep our service as simple as possible, frankly. Um, and in that regard, it's it's less, you know, there's less complexity to have to be explained. There's less complexity that can be changed. But it's an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing, I mean, we do it just kind of by hand, hand curated. I think another key way to do that, though, is to make sure you use your service actively. Yeah. 
because then then of course you you yourself as a user experience the pain that that your customers do so yep keyword dog fooding yeah yeah i assume the audience is familiar with the the uh phrase dog fooding that uh the dog food salesperson comes and says this food is so good i'd eat it myself so well eat it yourself prove to us how good it is and then you eat it and you realize actually this this food's pretty terrible there's all these changes i could make to it and for some reason in the software industry we use that phrase to describe using your own product but it, it works right it really works if you're not using your own product you don't realize all the rough corners and difficult Parts. It's very, it's very difficult as a founder, I think, because you're so, you know, you think about your product all the time, and you're so into it, and it's so hard to put yourself in the, in the shoes of of someone coming to it for the first time. Not only are they seeing your product for the first time, but maybe they don't even have the domain expertise uh, right. you know, that that you have. And right, you ask them to put in the, the 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 food bar information or whatever, and they don't even know what that is in the context. Exactly. Maybe they know it under a slightly different name or. They just need, yeah. Yeah, yeah, big challenge. Actually, speaking of dog fooding, remember last week we talked about, you mentioned that you are actually a customer of your own service so that you get yes. the billing emails and stuff. Immediately after our conversation, I went and did that. And so it's great, MRR is up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but hopefully you picked the, the cheapest plan. Yes, I, I did also give myself a little coupon. So, um, <laughs> but, but no, I did actually discover some little things that we could tweak to try to make things a bit more clear. So um, very okay. good advice. And, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to continue doing that. So. so for people who haven't listened to the previous episode, what we recommended is that you actually become a paying customer of your own, of your own product so that you're receiving the renewal notices and the invoices and so on. And you start to see mistakes that you wouldn't see otherwise, especially when things deteriorate over time, because every month this is coming as a re- reminder in your inbox or maybe not coming in your inbox. And if so, then you've discovered a problem to fix. So in general, though, it was pretty good. Just a couple of rough corners. Yeah, just some phrasings and things that could have been a bit more clear, perhaps, or things like that. I mean, nothing, everything worked worked kind of as hope. But I think there's also a problem with um, onboarding email sequences. You tend to design them, implement them, and then you don't see them again ever. And yeah, yeah, they can just get really out of date. We actually last year got rid of our onboarding emails kind of for exactly that reason. Also, I mean, we could tell users, but this gets also to our topic of selling to developers, but you know, people are not interested. So actually, I'd like to know more about why you got rid of the onboarding emails. But first, let's set the scene. So your product is OpenCage. Tell us exactly what this product does. Right. So so we do one thing and one thing only, and that is we provide an API for geocoding. Geocoding is the process of taking addresses and converting them into geographic coordinates, so longitude and latitude. Or the opposite, you have longitude and latitude, say, from a a GPS device or something, and you want to know the address. And so that's exactly what we do. The unique angle of our service is that we do this using open data, um, primarily a data set called OpenStreetMap, which uh, people might be aware of as kind of the, as a rough analogy, it's kind of the Wikipedia of geographic data. Um, So it's a crowdsourced repository of, of data for all over the world. Um, we also combine that with several other different data sets, and we we do a lot of things to make this to create a good developer experience around around geocoding. Why would somebody want to do this? Why would somebody want to take a latitude and longitude and turn it into a street address? 
Right. So, so there are two ways. That, that, so latitude and longitude to address is what's known as reverse geocoding. Forward geocoding is the opposite. You have an address and you uh, want to know the coordinates. And with forward geocoding, maybe you have a database of addresses that you want to display on a map or something like that. That's a very common use case. So CRM systems and things like that where you have a lot of customer addresses or, or whatever. The opposite, reverse geocoding, actually there's quite a lot of interest in that because uh, people have GPS tracking devices. So if you're in a in a car or a, a truck, a cargo vehicle, a taxi, you know, you're tracking where that thing moves around. And at some point you want to convert that kind of into into data that that humans can understand. So what city was it in? What what address was it at? What country was it in? All these kinds of things. So why, why this product, Ed? Of all the products you could have chosen to, to run, why are you doing this one? I think I alluded to this a bit in the last episode, but prior to doing this business, I had a business which um, we it was a real estate search service. So we would get um, we would aggregate the listings of lots of different big real estate websites. Um, and we did that in about 10 different countries. And so, I mean, I mean, millions, we would get about 10 million uh, real estate listings a day because we were doing huge countries like um, here in Europe, Germany, UK, Spain as well. Um, but we were also doing India, Brazil. Um, so we'd get all these these real estate listings and typically they would have address information, but we wanted to you know, be able to let people search via the map and show them on a map and things like that. So we would have to actually do a lot of geocoding. And we discovered it was, it, A, it's not so simple and B, there are very good solutions. So, so the solution probably most listeners are familiar with is Google Maps. They offer an excellent geocoding service. The problem is it's really expensive. You have to agree with Google's terms and conditions. Onerous terms and conditions. Very, very onerous terms and conditions, particularly around how long you can store the data and uh, where you're allowed to display the data and can you use it behind a firewall or not, all these kinds of things. Anyway, so we kind of built up this expertise in-house doing this geocoding. And then fast forward a couple of years and, and some of our customers, these big real estate sites were, they could, in our, through our dialogue with them, they would learn that we were pretty good at this. And so then they would ask, oh, how do you do it? Can Can we use it? Um, so we kind of had the inkling that, oh, maybe there's demand for this. And we, in 2014, 2013, we started working on, you know, maybe we should create this as, a, as its own kind of standalone service and see if there's any interest. And so we then launched it then and kind of in a beta mode, very exploratory, trying to see, does anyone want to use this? But separately to that, we the, our core business, the real estate search engine, got sold to one of our competitors and and they were not interested in owning this piece. So we had this kind of embryonic idea sitting there and uh, myself and the guy who's now currently my co-founder, he was an employee at the business as well. We said, well, let's, let's take this over and see if we can run this on the side and see how we can develop this into a business. So, so that's what we did. I like that story. It's a real pain point you were having. You found there was a real market need for it. You had already developed some skills at it. Yeah, it ticks a lot of boxes. Do you have a passion for it? Or you I do. Act, for yeah, good. What I like about it, I guess you could firmly put me in the kind of geo-geek category. Uh, it, geography, you know, if you're the kind of person who likes looking at maps and that kind of stuff. And the other thing that's really interesting is this is a space with so much innovation happening in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, now the fact is that everyone has a, a computer in their pocket at all times that knows exactly where they are. So the amount of geo or geodata geo or geo reference data is absolutely exploding. And with that, there's a, an explosion in the, the interesting kind of use cases and 
people making really amazing visualizations and all kinds of things like that. And we are like kind of an open cage. We're kind of a foundational brick behind all those services. So imagine you have millions of users using an app. You're getting their location from the app as coordinates, and you want to start doing cool things with that. One of the things you'll probably have to do is geocode that data. So that's kind of where we fit in that picture. Okay. Audience like to likes to get a sense of the size of a business so they can know how much the advice is applicable to them. So if you don't mind me asking, is this business something that uh, is profitable that you and your co-founder are both able to live off? You've, your families can support, uh, support it as well. You have a team without like revealing too much. Yes, we do live off the business. That being said, we both also do other things on the on the side. Partially also because the other things are interesting. One of the challenges, as I'm sure you know, with SaaS is that it's slow growth. Mm-hmm. So we, we were in the fortunate situation myself from selling the company and, and my my co-founder, he was doing lots of other um, contracting projects and things. So we weren't under immediate financial pressure to grow this business quickly. So also, frankly, that's a big benefit of living in a, in a place like Barcelona with a with a very more manageable cost of living. We were able to grow it slowly and steadily, and now we've been doing it for four or five years. Yeah, now it's reached a size where it does sustain us. We do have a few team members, uh, freelancers, um, doing different tasks to help us help us grow the business. But primarily, it's it's just the two of us. But we have we have now hundreds of customers, and we really leverage the fact that you know the technology it, it it's it's easier than ever to create really high re- highly reliable services um, and we actually have some some very big enterprises that we do kind of bespoke versions of the service for um you know with very rigorous SLAs and things and um but we're able to do that because you know the technology has gotten so so good and so robust and um it's also about being very deliberate you know one of the as i talked about earlier with the upgrading one of the with a foundational technology like this one of the key benefits that many of the customers are looking for particularly the enterprise customers is just stability okay and right, they they right. want to know that they they don't really want a lot of new features what they want is it it should just work and right. uh, you know the price needs to be fair and it it but it should be completely reliable and that stability comes with time as well would like or at least the appearance of stability when they can see you've been doing this for four or five years and they know that you're you're doing it long term. Absolutely, absolutely. And actually, one of the things we put on our our web page is that we're not VC funded. Wow. And 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 many many and some I have had people comment on that and be like, oh, you know, that gives me confidence that you're here. You know that that we're nice. a stable, reliable business. I mean, our business model is quite clear. We charge customers for a service, and from that, we're able to make a profit. You know, it's not that we're uh, burning through some kind of funding or something like that, that at, and at some point it's going to, you know, disappear. So so your product is an API, or it's delivered as an API, which means that your your users, perhaps your customers, but definitely your users are specifically developers. Who else uses an API? So I want to spend the rest of this episode talking about how one sells to developers. I think you've developed quite some experience with that for a good or bad? Well, the first thing I think you need to know is I've often, you know, we talked a bit about dog fooding as an expression. There's another expression that I've, that I've heard frequently is, you know, are you building, is your product a vitamin or an aspirin? Uh, are you familiar with that one in terms of like... No, I'm not. Explain it to me. Okay. So a vitamin is something you, a vitamin is a pill you take because in the hopes that, oh, this will, 
this will help me get better. Like it will help me in the future. It'll keep me healthy, but it's kind of aspirational, right? You're, you're like, you don't need to take the vitamin. You're taking it because you hope it, it's kind of a nice to have. Okay. Whereas the mm -hmm. aspirin is you have a splitting headache and you, you, so you want, you need to solve this headache. And, and we, with, with our API, we're at the extreme end of that. I mean, the, the joke I kind of make is that we're not selling aspirin. We're selling rabies <laughs> shots. Okay, so no one no one buys a rabies shot unless they got bitten by a rabid dog. Okay, and it's similar in the service that we have with geocoding. You can be the biggest geo geek in the world. You're never going to become a customer unless you actually need geocoding. Um, and so, okay. so that creates a lot of challenges as well in terms of how do we market this thing? I need to find people on the day they got bitten by the rabid dog, if you see what I mean. So... Uh, it's, okay, it's, so when, when they have the problem, they have to be able to find you. You have to be where they're looking for help to solve their very, very uh, uh, urgent uh, problem. Exactly, exactly. So, but on the, Just as an aside, my friend was in Colombia and got bitten by a dog that may or may not have been rabid and actually was thinking of flying out of the country immediately to a hospital to get treated because he couldn't find the necessary shot in the country. That's the type of problem, right? That that that's the kind of I mean, you know, it, typically it's not that urgent, but uh, but it is like you know the business has a need for geocoding. Yeah. So yeah. that means they either have an existing solution and they for some reason are unhappy with the existing solution, be it price, be it the 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 functionality of the solution, and so on that day I need to catch them, or for, there's a new business need. You know, they're entering a new line of business or whatever, and so they realize geocoding is one of the pieces they need. So very difficult to market in a traditional sense. Um, so, uh, so what we do is a lot of kind of brand building so that people on the day you get bitten by the rabbit jog, you know that we exist and you're like, oh yeah, okay, geocoding. Let me go talk with the open cage guys. Um, if you see what I mean. So what doesn't really brand work. Brand building's hard. How, how do you do brand building? Well, it's very hard, <laughs> particularly, <laughs> particularly with the, you know, the, the resources of a small company with a limited budget. Mainly, we, we do a couple different things. We, we're very active in the OpenStreetMap community. So that's the, the, that database that we build upon. There are a lot of people in that community. These are the kind of geo geeks. Um, but many of them, of course, in their professional life, they also are doing things related to geo. So the hope is that when at their work, when they need, realize they need geocoding, they, um, you know, we're top of mind there. Uh, we run our own event. We run a, an event called GeoMob in a couple different cities. Um, but of course, that's hard because then we're only reaching those people in those cities. Uh, we try to do kind of sponsorships of events and things like that. Um, it, it requires a lot of patience, you know. We do mm. do, you know, there there is, you can use Google ads. So AdWords when, you know, someone realizes, oh, okay, my boss said I need to figure out how we do the geocoding. So, of course, they go to the search engine and type in geocoding. But that's very challenging, of course, because we're competing with... I mean, our number one competitor is kind of Google Maps. So as you may, as you can imagine, Google, you know, gives themselves uh, top <laughs> position. So um, trying to compete with against Google on Google. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's tough. Well, and, and not just that, but many of our um, competitors, there are some other big competitors who big kind of enterprise companies. Um, they they charge quite a lot, but the, then they they thus they have large marketing budgets. Um, so, so that's a that's a very challenging arena for us to compete in on in just in terms of cost per click and um, so really it's it's the thing that works exceptionally well with developers 
is word of mouth. So um, developers, you know, the usual situation would be someone will say, oh, okay, my boss said I need some geocoding. Oh, I remember, you know, my buddy last year, he had a similar project. Let me ask him what he used. Okay. How can you tell that word of mouth is actually working? It's almost impossible to track and measure. Yes, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's an <absolute laughs> I heard somewhere someone say, uh, if you think that your business is growing by word of mouth, what you're actually saying is you have no idea how your business is growing. You but. can <laughs> well, you can see it a little bit in things like um, forums where developers hang out, so so Hacker News or Stack Overflow, uh, Twitter. Some many developers are very active on Twitter, but that can also be a challenge. I mean, you know, sometimes it can go. It's it's a real. We had a situation a couple of weeks ago where some guy, you know, a well-known guy with lots of followers on Twitter is like, oh, I, I needed to do geocoding for a project and uh, I tested all the alternatives and so-and-so is the best. Okay. And and I, it wasn't us. So, you know, I ping him on, uh, not just I, but several of our competitors as well ping him and are like, well, can you describe your, you know, your methodology or how did you evaluate? Anyway, so then I got into an email dialogue with him and he's like, oh, here's the data I used. And you know, he he had a data set for his project. Of, it was like the names of some Mexican villages or whatever, which I, I happy to accept that the person he thought the the competitor that he thought was better than us was, is better than us at geocoding the names of Mexican villages. But instead of putting like the correct statement, which would be like I needed to geocode some Mexican villages, and for that use case, you know, competitor X is the best. He just like X is the best at all geocoding. <laughs> Right. And so it's just like, oh, no, man. No. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, just because someone's good at, at that type of geocoding doesn't mean they're they're going to be good in, you know, whatever Chinese addresses or, you know, so it's, it's so this is uh, this is developers. We tend to speak in absolutes even uh, when we shouldn't be like best yeah. thing ever. Worst thing ever. Yes, that's a challenge. Uh, the other, of course, unique challenge with developers is that they they think they can build it themselves. Oh, of course, in a weekend. Of course. In a weekend, and it'll be better than what you're doing as professionals who do this all the time. Right, right. Um, and, and in our case, particularly because we're using open data, the data sets that were, the underlying data sets that we're using are also available to um, to those developers. And in fact, we, we use a lot of open source software um, that, that they also obviously have access to. So in that regard, um, they think they can do it as well. Uh, and And I guess to a slight degree, they can. But mm -hmm. the one and one thing we really try to emphasize quite a lot is, and and this really come is valuable for the enterprise customers is that uh, building things is very easy. Can you maintain it? Who's yeah. going to maintain it? Yeah. And and if you if you're you know maybe you have a super smart developer and he's like oh I can build this in a weekend, you know maybe he can. What are you going to do when he quits next week? Right. Right. Who's going right. to maintain it then? So yeah. Yeah, and what happens when all the the when the underlying data is updated? Like ge geographical data is always being updated. Yes, well that that is a big difference. Yeah, in our case we have the software and then we also have the data, and the data is is changing. You know, OpenStreetMap gets millions of edits every single day. Um, so so maintaining it is a re very real concern. Um, yeah, and so we try to really emphasize those points: is that um, yes, you can probably you can build it, but you know, instead we have it ready to go, so you can turn it on instantly. You don't have to spend any time on development. We're going to maintain it because we've been doing it for a couple of years. You can see that we're a reliable business. You can trust us. You know, here are all the other customers that we work with. 
and by the way, we're also doing our best to give back to the community. So we're we're corporate members of the OpenStreetMap Foundation. We contribute to the software, all these kinds of things. So and on top of all that, the price is very reasonable. You know, the hope is with the combination of all those things, someone says, you know, this is just matter, much better if we work with OpenCage than try to do this ourselves. Ed, I'm going to list some conventional approaches that we all hear about what we should be using to market our products. Mm-hmm. And I want you to tell me for each of these, whether they work for you or not. So drip email. Not at sequence. all. Not at all. Not at all. No developer wants to receive emails. <laughs> have you tried it? Yes, we, we have. And then we turned it off because we could see the open rates weren't there. People weren't replying. People, developers want to learn at their own pace, right? And so, yeah, and, and the other point I should make is, um, and, and this, this is something, I think this is a trap I fell into at the beginning as well, is like developers are human and humans are very different. So and it's, it's a mistake to think that all developers are at the same skill level, are at the same level of experience, are the, have the same mindset. So, you know, some people, first thing they want to do is read all the documentation. Other people, they want to dive straight into trying and playing with it, and then only on an as-needed basis, they want to um, they want to to refer to the documentation. Um, also, okay. very different skill levels. I mean, we have some yeah. people who you know know exactly how to phrase their question. You know, they understand the geospace and they have very precise questions. And then we have a lot of students who you know maybe they've had one semester of programming. And they ask us super basic questions, you know, and, and a lot of times I'll be like, it's not working. So then you're like, oh, what's not working? And, you know, then you realize it's a problem with their computer or something yeah. like that. But, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. So oh, those are the, the hard ones, the hard support questions. Hey, your product's not working. What do I do? Uh, come on, you need to tell me a bit more than it's not working. Right, right. Uh, we get them a lot with our B2C desktop app that was still running. Uh, and it's it's really frustrating. With developers, you might not, you know, typically they're savvy enough not to give us that bad of a question, but not not always. We do get some questions like that, but it's more the case of like they don't, you know, they don't understand exactly all the nuance of what they're doing because, you know, this is their first time working on a project like this or whatever. And so you you then have to help help them kind of in the debugging process. Um, and so that's another facet of our, of our product, right, is making sure you have very good error messages that kind of make sure if someone's using it wrongly that they understand why what they're doing wrongly and that they can kind of self-correct um okay um tell me retargeting have you tried that does it work with developers in your opinion we have not tried that and i i don't think it would work because you know speaking only for myself and and many of the other developers i know like every single one of them has an ad blocker yeah, I definitely do. I have not seen a banner ad in yeah. years. <laughs> okay, so well, uh, lucky, lucky. You obviously don't use a uh, Apple phone. Uh, I do use an iPhone. I do use an oh, iPhone. Actually. Really? Because I, I haven't worked out how to turn that stuff on the on the phone yet. Hey, SEO, does this work for you? This does work to a degree. Uh, of course, it's challenging in that that uh, it, it, it's kind of table stakes. Right? Everyone is doing this. Um, yeah. But, but as yeah. I said, there are the, you know many people when they're faced with this issue of okay, you need to you need to, Mister Developer, we need a solution for X. Okay, so the developer thing he does mm-hmm. is goes to Google or whatever and types in a query, and and so it's ideal. It's important to appear there. Yeah. Okay. What about more general content marketing? Only to a limited degree. I would say in that 
so yes, it works, but in a different way. Like the content we have are more like um, libraries, like software libraries and the different programming languages and things like that. So I don't generally, I don't think developers want to read like, you know, pages and pages of text about us describing, oh, here's why we're the best thing ever in GeoCrit. But what does work perversely, as I said, word of mouth, and the word of mouth might be literally verbal, or it could be, you know, some developer writes a blog post saying, here's the problem I had at work. Here's how I solved it. And I used OpenCage. By the way, OpenCage is great. Uh, here's mm -hmm. what I really liked about it. That type of, when a third party talks about our our service, and it's obviously authentic, right? It's not, you know, it, it's not so glowing. It's like an ad, and it's clear that this person is not affiliated with us in any way then that's, that works fantastically. But of okay. course, it's very difficult to trigger that kind of behavior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just have to be ready, listening, waiting for when it happens. But uh, hey, we're just about running out of time. In a couple of sentences, is there anything you'd like to use, say, to sum up about your experience of marketing to developers or selling to developers? I guess I would say it's hard, <laughs> but it is doable. And um, particularly if you're solving a real problem, uh, but I, I think with bootstrapping in general, you need to be patient. But I think particularly with selling to developers, it, 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 it means it's going to be even slower in the sense that people want, particularly bigger clients, they want solutions that they can really trust. And as you said, one of the key aspects of trust is time. Has it been around for a while? Like no one, I mean, there are people who like to play with the cool new technologies, no one really wants to use the cool new technologies yeah. and mission critical business that they're going to pay for. So in that regard, you just have to have patience and you have to really focus on building that trust and showing that you're going to be there and showing that you, you know, when, when issues come in, that you reply to them, that you're actively developing, very important to show people that the product, yeah. that the, it hasn't been abandoned, that it's still being maintained. That's quite important. Yeah. So yeah. I guess some of those, those are some of the key lessons. Patience, trust, consistency, ever-presence. Okay, that's all we have time for today. We will be back next week with another episode from The Bootstrapping Life. Listeners, if you'd like to discuss more about today's topic, please go to our forum at bootstrapped.fm and join the conversation. Okay, bye, Ed. See you later. See you, everybody. That concludes this episode of Bootstrapped. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. Until next episode, goodbye.